Welcome back, you guys, to another episode of Healing Talks Podcast. My name is Amanda Huggins, your host, as always, and today we are joined by a very special second-time guest. We're joined by my former coach, dear friend, Melanie Klein. Now, if you caught our original episode back in season one with Melanie, we talked about the concept of empowerment as a whole and looked at it primarily through the coaching lens. Now, Melanie is joining us today to still talk about empowerment, but we're looking more specifically at conscious empowerment and collective liberation. So as to say, when I'm able to free myself, I am better equipped and able to inspire, to support, to help you free yourself. I like to think about it like the shine theory. When I shine, you shine. And this conversation is both inspired by and coming on the heels of Melanie's first TEDx talk, which was about this very concept, conscious empowerment and collective liberation. I was lucky enough to see Melanie give this TEDx talk live in Long Island, beautiful Long Island, New York, and I am so, so excited to have Melanie on. It's, it was such a full circle moment to watch her give this talk and see her in her power, and it's just as much of an honor to have her on here today. So I'm super excited, and let's say hello to Melanie. Hi, Mel. How you doing? Hello. Thanks for having me. To be the first repeat guest is such a fun honor and title. I'm I'm stoked. And of course, it makes perfect sense. And I'm just really excited to have you, as I just mentioned, because when I was listening to your talk, first of all, just seeing you on stage, and we've known each other for, I guess, a decade, mm-hmm. almost, almost, give or take. Yep. <laughs> um, we knew each other before either of us were coaches. And so yep. I've seen and received your journey and I've received your guidance. And it was this beautiful moment to like just see you in so much power on stage sharing so much wisdom, so much grounded empowerment. Like that's that's really the feeling I got when you were talking up there is like, There's nothing fake about that. There's nothing cheesy about how she's sharing her work. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to bury the lead too much here. So for those (laughs) listening, Melanie's talk, uh, it was called Conscious Empowerment and Collective Liberation. So I understand why that talk is titled as such. But Mel, why don't you kind of share a bit about your background again and why it was important for you to talk about that specifically? Yeah. um, First, I want to say, you know, it was really, I know when we did our previous podcast episode, um, it was just this really wonderful full circle moment. Um, And then having you in the audience was also like, like you said, personally for you, but also personally for me, there was something really incredibly powerful and significant about having you there given the context of our relationship, because as my talk is entitled Conscious Empowerment, Collective Liberation, this talk for me was a culmination of my own sort of, uh, if you want to call it click moment in life. Mm -hmm. Um, I talk about it in the talk, which we'll obviously share in the show notes, which was really having that recognition very clearly that, um, I wanted to do this kind of work in terms of being empowered by learning from mentors, guides, teachers, and then not only receiving, but then offering, right? So to be able to give this talk and, you know, in the talk, I'm giving a nod to my first mentor quite extensively. The entire talk is built around meeting her and being so taken by her presence, so taken by the way that she showed up in the world, and then having you there um, as someone that, you know, I have been able to offer and have a relationship with Mm -hmm. was just, it really spoke to the entire sort of um, behind the scenes of the talk, which is, you know, being in the middle of the 
really uh, uplift, the mutual uplift, the collective uplift, the collective solidarity, um, you know, across generations between women uh, in a way that is so often, you know, the antithesis of the stereotypes that exist around women as being catty or competitive or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, jealous. And so that was happening as I was giving a nod to Pat, Alan, my mentor, having you there. um, And like you said, being really grounded in it, that this isn't something that was, uh, you know, timely to talk about or in vogue to talk about or something that I was researching and simply understanding and sharing from an intellectual standpoint, but something that I have lived for over half my life at this point and being so grounded in the experience, the transformation, um, you know, on, on, on both sides of that equation and then being able to offer it to a much, you know, to a much wider audience, which has really been the, the impetus, I think always for my professional life anyways, once I had my own click moments and started this journey and then began to actually become a professor and a writer and a public figure, um, and doing my coaching work the the idea was always i want to take the things that i've discovered these golden nuggets these gems of liberation the things that have allowed me to grow and to change so exponentially and i just want to be able to offer it to as many people as possible so you know all the things i've done and then leading up to going to the tedx stage was was all part of the plan maybe not specifically <laughs> right that the right. the larger idea to be able to do that so um it was just really wonderful and i and i and i really can appreciate how you were able to witness and receive it and then reflect back your experience of it because i know how i felt going through the process of writing and practicing and then getting on stage the trials the tribulations the highs and lows and then there's just mm-hmm. also something I think really um, wonderful about having someone in the audience, not just someone who had never met me before, but also someone who saw, as you said, the very specific journey I've gone on, be able to reflect back what it was like for them to experience the talk. So um, yeah. I, did I answer the question? I I, I think you, I did. You, know, you definitely did. Okay. And you also, as most guests do, bring up like three different things that I want to dive into. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I, I want to come back to what you said about collective liberation and then also when you were speaking to elevating women, because when I heard that, the feeling I got or the reminder was like, there's room for all of us at the table. Uh, and yeah. when you guys listen yeah. to Melanie's talk, obviously I'm going to link that in the show notes, but um, that's a very, I, I don't believe you say that specifically in those words, but it, that is a very strong piece that I took away from the messaging that there is room for all of us at the table. And I can only imagine because I've gone through versions of my own career up levels that come with those highs and lows, as you yep. know, very well Yep. that in that rise to whatever the next level is. So in your case, it's this really powerful uh, TEDx talk that you're sharing. I know for me, I have those moments where it's like, wait, me? Really? Can I do this? (laughs) Right. Yeah. And, you know, whether it's giving a talk or it's someone, you know, pitching for a promotion in their job or they're opening themselves up to love. I think we all have one of those moments of, can I do this? And when we're talking about the collective and then perhaps more specifically within that collective women, there is that additional layer of, oh, but she's already doing it or that fear of cattiness. And there is just a different texture, I think, um, that we've been socialized into where it's like, well, almost like a guarded, like not anti other women, but we're, we're, brought up to be a little bit closed off and in fear. And your talk is really about expanding metaphorically or, or literally holding each other's hands. I'm, I'm curious to hear your perspective on how, how women can support each other in collective liberation and minimize or mitigate or dissolve that that closed offness, that fear of, well, I can't do it because she's doing it or the competitive or jealous energy. 
How can people work through that? Women, how, these listeners, what can you share on that? Yeah, you know, as you were speaking, I was just thinking, you know, so much of it is that we have been really taught to accept the crumbs at the table, mm-hmm. right? And to feel like, oh, out of this entire pie, there's only one slice for us. And, you know, and out of that one slice, maybe there are only crumbs left and we need to not only accept them, we have to grapple for them. We have to, you know, there has to be a certain almost element of desperation behind it as opposed yeah. to let's just bake our own pie and split it up and let's bake another one, right? This idea of can we move into expansiveness? Can we move into abundances? Uh, the abundance, that was a really funny word that I just said. Can we move into an abundance <laughs> of opportunity? Can we move into a state of mind that begins to understand that there is strength, um, you know, in unity, because not only have we been socialized to accept crumbs and to feel that there's only that one slice that is going to, you know, that we have to kind of push each other aside as we, you know, run, you know, underneath the table to grab those crumbs. We also mm-hmm. have really been socialized to see one another as sort of in a lot of ways, the antagonist, the enemy, someone to be wary of, someone to be jealous of. And I mean, if we even go to, let's say, the witch burnings, okay, Mm -hmm. Um, for women to gather in groups, right, was outlawed, that you would be suspect women could not gather together. And so if we look at any marginalized group, the idea, right, of marginalized groups coming together, especially not only within the group, but then across groups, that could be very, very dangerous to the existing power structures, right? That the way that those systems of domination continue to operate is by, you know, beginning to create and to amplify the sense of divisiveness that exists among and in between those groups. And so this is very much what we, you know, what you were describing here is the context and the background for that. So for me, the starting point is honestly just to have an understanding of these things, Mm -hmm. right? And that's what I describe in my talk is when I met Pat Allen and I began to to learn about these systems and structures and the history of, you know, the issues and challenges and the context, um, there was just this moment of where things really began to to lift off of me, right? I, I, I talk in, in my talk about feeling unburdened and how incensed yeah. I was that it took me so long to be unburdened by these things, by this information that this information had been kept from me. It was not things um, that I had learned in elementary school, middle school, or high school that it took me until I was in my early 20s to actually have someone share and to have access to this history and these issues. And so that was one of the first moments of liberation for me was beginning to have context and understanding. And so I think that's a great starting point um, for for women and for anyone is to actually be given the context to begin to put their their life and their experiences within a larger framework that helps them make yeah. sense of it more. Um, and then, you know, a couple of years after I had sort of the intellectual understanding of these situations, um, that's, then I became introduced to embodiment work, uh, my physical yoga practice, mm-hmm. meditation. Um, and I really began to understand how to not only intellectualize uh, the idea of a new paradigm, the idea of deconstructing what I had come to know and accept as quote normal, but then actually Mm -hmm. becoming this change, right? It's like, I talk about it a lot in my work with the Yoga and Body Image Coalition, which is how you and I met, that, um, you know, it's one thing to intellectualize, let's say, self-love. It's another thing to embody it. And so those two things together help me to understand, but also then to shift internally in my being. And so for people as a starting point, I think it can be the intellect. It can be the, you know, the understanding, the framework of knowledge, and then being introduced to practices that allow us to really embody, okay, then what does it feel like, look like, and sound like to be in solidarity, to be in acceptance, to be operating from a paradigm of mutual uplift and um, really, you know, collective liberation as a well, as opposed to, sorry, as opposed to operating from a framework of competition or jealousy or operating from a framework that, oh, it's already been done. So this doesn't matter or I can't or, oh, there's someone else who's doing something similar. I need to go into competition There's just something that is so powerful about when women or any marginalized group comes together and we 
booing each other, uh, right? That it's like we, we feel so much more capable. We feel supported and it doesn't feel as much of a hustle or as a grind. It doesn't feel as overwhelming. And so to me, it just made sense from the beginning. Um, You know, as soon as I became sort of introduced to the concepts and ideas, I was like, well, gosh, if it took me this long to discover, and I I mentioned this in my talk as well, I want to share this because hopefully, right, it won't take someone else as long as it took me. I remember thinking if I have the keys to understanding and I have the keys to some aspect of liberation, some key to, you know, having a sense of self-acceptance and confidence. Why would I keep that to myself? (laughs) I just felt naturally inspired and compelled to share it as far and wide as I could, because I understood that the more that we all become empowered, the more that we benefit, right? That I benefit Mm -hmm. from your confidence and from your sense of grounded and centered calm. I benefit from your work in the world. I benefit from, you know, X, Y, and Z's work in the world and their confidence because when we can actually begin to develop our full potential or, you know, oftentimes the word I've used is self-actualize, what begins to happen socially right? There's research that shows the more education women, girls and women receive, um, the greater level of equity that there is for girls and women, society as a whole, the social indicators for society as a whole increase exponentially. So everybody Mm. wins when the individual, when each of those individuals begin to, you know, soar essentially. Such a fantastic answer. And there were a couple of things that came up for me as I was listening, one, I think to that that last piece, which I believe we've talked about on here before, is shine theory. A candle loses nothing by lighting another candle. And really, I, I think that embodiment piece, because that's that's a beautiful metaphor. And the embodiment piece is the jump from loving the metaphor or understanding this intellectually and then being in that, in your body. And I know I personally can speak to you helping me immensely with that. I'm sure you recall a couple of instances where, I mean, you and I, we we know each other, we were drawn to each other because we are very similar, right? Mm-hmm. And so yeah. I know for me, uh, when I was, before I was even a coach, we just started working together. I absolutely had really that scarcity energy that was like, well, are we too similar? And then that's just Melanie. Like there's so many other people there. And I think we, there were instances where my own fear in that, I'll only speak for mine, would come up in little pops. And you were really fantastic about leading the way and being like, Amanda, there's, there's room for all of us. The people as a coach you're meant to work with exist for you. And the people I meant to work with exist for me. And what was really cool is we've actually kind of kicked connections and clients back and forth to each other. And, you know, that's the latent benefits of the work. But I, I wouldn't have been able to receive that had you not been leading that conversation when I was in a place where I didn't have this information. I was absolutely in that socially conditioned scarcity Mm -hmm. of, I have to protect me. I have to win. And it wasn't so much like, it never came out in a mean way when I was a kid or growing up, like, screw you, I'm eating all of the candy or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. It was was more of an internalized, like tightness, Mm -hmm. tightness. Yeah. And the embodiment that you're speaking to, you mentioned yoga and meditation as pieces of it. This, this, expansion, this abundance that you're speaking to, it's a softening. It's a strength, but it's a softening. And when we get into that practice in the body, we connect it from body to mind and we're living it, that's when we're no longer in that space of fighting for or begging for or snatching up the crumbs. I loved what you said a couple of minutes ago where it's like, let's bake our own fucking cake. Yeah. Let's do it (laughs) our way. And that was another piece or through line of your talk that I found really powerful is 
throughout your story, it was very clear that you, at that click point, which I don't want to give that away because I want people to watch your talk, but this moment that you had where you were like, fuck this, my life is now mine. I'm turning things around. Um, that, that moment of expansion is available to everyone where we get to bake our own cake. We bet we get to decide what we want, who we want to share it with. And as you mentioned, share your stuff with others from joy. Well, yeah, what you said about the expansion being a softening, right? We're not tight in our bodies. We're not constricting, you know, it's part of being able to just take up more space um, and do so in a way that feels, like you said, joyful, it's in a way that feels fulfilling, it feels authentic, right? There's no, there's not a forcing, there's not uh, a resistance to it. And two things, one, I, I think what's important to say when you talked about my, you know, my, my click moment, I have, I think, two uh in there but i think i know which one you're talking about a uh, pretty dramatic yeah yeah um it really you know the other thing is when you asked what could be helpful and i said you know to begin to have context to have understanding to be able to put ourselves into a framework of reference right where our lives make a little more sense that's powerful but then you know number 2 even before getting to the embodiment piece which i think that you encapsulated so beautifully and, you know, completely is making a choice. It started with me, you know, making a choice um, about this is not what I want to do anymore. This is not how I want to do it. I want to do something else. It was truly just a very, very conscious choice of I want to show up differently. I want to take up space. I'm able to take up space. Let's see what happens when I take up space, right? Those were decisions that I made. And then you know, in terms of talking about how, you know, I'm sort of moving backwards in the things that you had shared in terms of the, the moments that you would have and, and when I would coach you or talk to you or share things with you, you know, what's important about that as well, none of that would have worked if I was only coming from a place of intellectual knowing. Um, I had to, and I continue always to do the work very, very deeply, consistently, steadily. I mean, I have very clear non-negotiables in my life in terms of what, what is the framework for my day? What are the variables that I include each day? What are the things that I make sure that I am always tending to and practicing each day so that I can continue to um, hold the space that I currently embody um, for myself, for my clients, for my students, but continue to expand it, that there has to be a very clear practice as opposed to just an intellectual exercise. And I could have said those words to you, but they would not have had the kind of impact on you um, had I not actually been coming from the embodied place of practicing it and living it, which is the same as I could have gotten up on stage and said the same words, but they could have landed Mm -hmm. differently and when you described at the beginning of this talk today, this, you know, our conversation, um, the grounded empowerment and the way that I showed up there, it was because it was coming from a very deep place of embodiment. This is something I've been living and practicing and being and doing, um, you know, for a very long time, not, so, not just something I've been thinking about and studying and writing about and talking about. Yes. Yes. And those structures you mentioned I think are important for two reasons. One is because exactly what you said, right? The the energy. You could have said the same things. I would have felt maybe not that you were inauthentic because you can tell when someone knows what they're talking about. Yes. <laughs> you can feel when someone lives what they're talking about. Yeah. And having those structures daily where you pour into yourself, you check in with and check on yourself are critical for you to be able to hold space for yourself and then for other people. Whether you're a coach or not, you are holding space for the people in your life. Yeah, for your family, for your loved ones, your community. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, coming back to holding space for yourself having those systems and structures, whatever they are, rituals in place is also critical because when someone makes a choice to expand, to seek out this this greater empowerment or collective liberation, 
shit comes up, man. It's not like, <laughs> oh, I made the choice. Oh, yeah. I love Oh, right yeah, now. it does. Shit comes up. Yep. And if you don't have those structures, good luck, baby. Good luck. Because it's, it's a ride. It Empowerment is. is not like, oh, good, I'm here. It's fucking work. It is. And, and, you know, when you talk about those, you know, uh, the practices, the rituals, the daily, whatever, fill in the blank, however people want to envision it in their own minds. For me, the way I look at it is, you know, those are my anchors. Those are the tethers. Yep. Um, they can be tethers. They can be anchors. They can also be space holders. So that I, I know when I was younger, um, you know, sometimes I just felt not only extremely wobbly, <laughs> but I also felt like I could just literally fly off the face of the planet. There was such a sense mm -hmm. of like, I might just become completely unmoored and just float off, fly off, you know, fall off on that. Yeah. It, it, the idea of being empowered and expansive, taking up space, holding space to the magnitude, certainly that I do now. Um, not only did it feel overwhelming, but it felt so daunting. It felt too big. It felt that I could get lost in it. Right. Yes. And so as I continue to do the work, because honestly, the, the clients that I continue to work with, you know, every six to nine months, it seems there's just a different level uh, in terms that these individuals come in, how they already walk in the world, um, what they do. And, you know, I have to be bigger <laughs> in terms yeah. of the space that I hold for them. And, you know, I, it's so gratifying to be able to do this with the kind of individuals that I work with. So it is a continued source of inspiration aside from my own internal source of inspiration. Um, but that concept, what I'm living now, what I'm doing now would have been just so completely unimaginable to earlier versions of myself because mm -hmm. I couldn't figure out it just, you know, how I could exist in that realm. It seemed scary. I wanted to almost like be tucked under the covers or tucked into a pocket somewhere. Right. Yeah. And, and now it's like, yeah, it, you know, as I continue to grow um, with and along, you know, with my clients and my students and just life, let's say, because it's constantly changing. Um, the reason that I can is because I have those anchors. I have those places to feel yeah. moored. It's like, you know, even if you think about tying a balloon to a, uh, you know, to let's say to a chair or tying it to something on the ground, it can go up and it can soar, but it's not just going to float off and drift away and get lost. So that's kind yeah. of how I see those things, right? I need to have very deep grounding for me to do the spacious work, right? So it's also that duality of having the groundedness and having the spaciousness of being able to move fluidly right through the air. And I know that's getting yeah. a little esoteric, but I'm imagining most of your listeners are probably very I, familiar with this kind of language. They get it. They get it. What was coming up as I was listening to you talk about those beautiful balloon uh, metaphors, we always have anchor points. You know, you're you're speaking right now to the structures, the rituals, whatever that keep you in empowerment, spaciousness, in your power. And we unconsciously, prior to making that choice to go there, we have anchor points to perhaps shadowy or what we perceive as less savory parts of our personality. Yes. It's to our pain, not even just personality, our, our life. We're tethered to our pain. We're anchored to the things that have happened to us or, uh, you know, the the systems or perspectives that we were taught as a kid. And I know breaking through that can be that fear, that bigness that stops people or yeah. slows them down. It certainly almost did for me. And, you know, there is a bit of shame that comes up naturally for many people in that decision, as I say, the journey from anxiety to empowerment, right. right? But, you know, you make this choice, I'm changing things. I'm going to have these new tethers, new anchor points, new perspectives mm -hmm. to develop. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're in that choice. You're starting to do that work. And then there, from, I'll just speak from experience, shame comes up because there's a little bit of how did I let myself become oh. untethered or, mm -hmm. or, um, Am I good enough, right? The good enough stuff. And so everyone has their own flavor 
Shame might not be the descriptor for everyone, but the shadow that comes up at the beginning of that choice, you're untethering from the shadow and and re-anchoring in something else. Something you said, I mean, just gave me chills because you embody it, but it's an important message for people to hear, whether it's at this point in their journey or, or they're further along or they haven't started. It's still important. You said, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. And when you said that, I've heard that before, probably from you, but it never will not give me chills. I know that's a double Mm. negative, very confusing, but it's not your fault is such a statement of liberation to say, okay, maybe I'm feeling the shame or I'm feeling the shadow and I know where I want to go. I have the fear that I'm working through. It's not your fault. It's like a hug to dissolve so much of that self-judgment. And I would just love for you to speak to that a little bit because I know that there's a wealth of information underneath that people might want to hear. Yeah. Oh gosh. I have so many things as you were speaking. I'm like, oh, I got a couple things. This was good. Good juicy Of course. (laughs) Okay. So first let me say that, um, you know, the whole, that, 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 that phrase was really important. In fact, many years ago, maybe 10 years ago, I actually wrote a piece for Ms. Magazine digitally and people can look Ms. Magazine, Melanie Klein. Um, and, uh, I believe it was, oh, it was called click. It's not your fault. I think it was called that something to that degree. So I wrote about it 10 years ago that one of the most powerful moments when I first stepped into that sociology of women class with my mentor, Pat Allen, who I talked about earlier and who is really the framework of my TED talk, um, was as I began to learn about the systems and structures, as I began to have the intellectual piece that I was saying is really important for people, there was this moment of recognizing, oh my God, all the shit that I was so hard on myself for, or that Mm -hmm. I said I was unlovable, unworthy, incapable, not smart enough, not fill in the blank enough, the bad things that had happened to me. And I'm talking about being stalked, uh, being raped, dealing with an eating disorder, um, all of those things. I went, oh shit. Okay. This is not something that is unique to me. This is not something that has just happened to me that I am actually part of a statistical, (laughs) you know, um, you know, sort of, yeah, it's a group of statistics that, indicate that there are correlations with being female in a patriarchal culture and having certain feelings and things happen, right? And I saw on your TikTok recently how you had that there had been that, I think what was called an Apple tag where you'd been followed. Oh, yeah. Yep. Right. So those sorts of things, and I, I could go into so many more things that, to be honest, I, I don't need to. Uh, people who are listening yeah. understand what I'm talking about, and they probably have their own experiences. But that, oh, that that wasn't because I'm bad or wrong, right? This is something that happens to girls and women. This is something yeah. that happens ad nauseum. And it was a moment of literally, you know, I talk about it in my talk, feeling the shilt, the, the guilt, the shilt, <laughs> let's make that a word, the guilt and the shame and the blame just started to, to sort of, you know, slide off my shoulders. And it, it was just, a, yeah, it was just a really profound moment for me, you know, to recognize, oh, this is not your fault. This is something that has happened to you as a result of this has happened to you because, it, you know, statistically speaking, it is very likely to happen in the life of a girl or a woman. And there was this relief like, oh, I'm not the problem. This system yeah. is the problem. There's something larger that is the problem that needs to be addressed. And it was also, as I discussed in my talk, the moment I became enraged and felt so compelled to begin to not only do the inner work, right? And that's what I talk yeah. about so much when I say, conscious empowerment, talking about the individual, but also collective liberation. This is not just about me, you know, feeling liberated. This is not just about me feeling empowered, but how do I use this information, this way of being to do something different? How can I understand 
my place within the collective and make conscious and independent choices, but also have a real clear recognition that what I do and who I am has an impact on the collective, right? So there's a lot in there and it was very profound. And as I was, you know, writing the talk, um, there were times where I had to obviously read it and practice it. And there were, (laughs) I would say at least a hundred hours went into writing and practicing this talk, if not more. Mm -hmm. And I read it to my friend Val and, um, I read the line, you know, uh, that I had learned it's not my fault and how, how it was a revelation, I say. And she started crying um, as she and her husband were listening and was very, very moved. And she said that that line was so profound for her that as I was going through the rewrite, I thought of her and I decided that mm-hmm. I wanted that line to be a refrain. So I say it a couple times in the talk. But one of the li- the, the middle line is it's not your fault. And I wrote that especially for her. I wanted to make sure that I connected with the audience and listeners in a way where they not only understood it for me, but that I could really pause on that and they could they could connect on a more deeper level and they could maybe hear something that they needed to hear in that moment. Mm. Um, so that's mm. how it came from a creative um, writing standpoint, but also in terms of intention and background. And I almost thought I was going to lose this thread, but I remember the other thing I wanted to say (laughs) was um, there, you know, when you were talking about that experience and how, as you know, you do the shadow work, the shit that can come up and you can get, you know, hard on yourself. Two things that I've also found have been very potent for me over the years is one to just bring it to neutrality, right? To literally... Mm -hmm see it as a data point, as a fact, as this is what has been, this is what is, these things happened, or this has happened, and to kind of create a level of neutrality in the relationship to that thing, to the story, to the thing that had happened. Uh, That level of neutrality for me was created not just through thoughts, but through the practice of coming into stillness, right? Uh, Through meditation, starting to de-escalate things, to... um, to make to 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 take things that were very amplified and heightened or activated in me and just begin to have them calm down. I learned how to do that mm. through meditation. And then the second piece, if we can come to a place of neutrality um, and perhaps acceptance, which doesn't mean we tolerate or excuse, but we can come into yeah. neutrality and acceptance. For me, it was also really powerful to then reframe. Um, those incidences and who I was and recognize that those earlier versions of me that maybe I had judged or felt were bad or wrong or weak or was ashamed of, or why didn't you know, or why didn't you do all of those things? Or why did you do it that way? (laughs) Because some of the choices that I made on my empowerment journey, you know, uh, they weren't quite as graceful or skillful. It was the capacity that I had to look back at that person and go, and thank you because you are the person who got me here. You are the one who mm-hmm. had that spark. You are the one who had the desire. You're the one who had that strength. And as much as maybe you were fallible and you made mistakes, my God, that, that, that pilot light that burned and grew or that desire, that fire in your belly that continued to grow. I think about, I talk about a, a road trip that had happened, a death-defying road trip in the talk. And Certainly, I mean, uh, wow, she made a lot of mistakes and made some interesting choices even after her awakening, yet she's the one who got me onto the TEDx stage. She's the one who got me to be, you know, a multi-published author and, you know, a very successful and prominent coach, a public figure, a professor, a wonderful mother, like, wow, you did a pretty damn good job. And so once I came to neutrality and acceptance, it was very powerful for me to sort of embrace her and completely rewrite the narrative in terms of her capabilities, her capacity, and her decision-making. And that was a very healing experience for me that I've been working on for the last, I would say, 15 to 17 years, really embracing that version of me, uh, especially given that she did not feel embraced for so long. So why would I continue to punish her when she already had had enough to deal with, right? Right. Yeah. Right. Just so beautiful. And although it shouldn't be, it is a very radical act to, as a woman, love, forgive, and welcome in all of those prior versions of yourself. Because to your point, which I fully agree with, that's who made you who you are now. That's a piece, side note, that I know a lot of people 
can very easily intellectualize. But bringing that awareness, yeah, I know, I should love that former version of me. <laughs> right. That takes deep work. I mean, that is that is another paradigm shift um, altogether. Although it's very much connected to this conversation, like you would, you spoke to really starting to pour into love and accept you first Mm -hmm. so that you could then be able to set up and share that with other people. Maybe that plan wasn't clear in that way. But it's what happened. Yeah. That's that, that was the path your soul knew you were on, right? That's radical too, because as women, we are socialized to put everyone else before us. It's the people pleasing. So this idea, not only of forgiving and accepting, but loving and then dedicating time for yourself in the now Mm-hmm. It it can feel illegal. Oh to yeah, practice. Oh yeah, and it is so necessary that we do. Um. Well, let me it, add one quick thing, and, and I know that you have another thought coming. Um. But you know, you had said that not only are we oftentimes socialized, and it also varies by culture. Um. You know, religious background that can be more extreme or less extreme that that narrative that you were describing and in some of the more extreme cases right to the point of not only should we put ourselves last but it's like you know that that martyr syndrome we should actually be a mm-hmm. martyr um it would be yeah. amazing to me you know uh, in the years that i was primarily teaching in the college classroom and i would have my students do an oral history because you know i write in my talk and i share in my talk how profound it was for me not only to learn that it was not my fault that it's not your fault but that there were just incredible um, girls and women through history making profound contributions, which impacted me. That was so motivating and inspiring. And I wanted to make sure that I not only talked about the concept, hey, there were a lot of really powerful girls and women doing these things. I wanted specifically my college students um, to learn about them. Like, hey, we're talking mm-hmm. about the fact we don't have a lot of this history. Why does it take so long to have access? And now I want you to actually learn. And so they would go, you know, we would go through the history, um, you know, primarily in the United States, but also in a global context. And then I would say, and now go interview the women in your family or in your community who are, you know, of a certain age and upwards and get their take on history from their lived experience. And oftentimes in sharing it, they were so uh, just kind of floored that this woman had a life (laughs) and experiences and wants and desires prior to becoming a mother or a grandmother that somehow once they became a mother or grandmother, there was this idea that they only lived for the children, for the family, that they sacrificed everything, that they martyred everything. And um, I wanted these women to be seen as more than that. I wanted those women to also remember that they were more than that by having people ask them questions about who they were as a full human being, not just Mm -hmm. a stereotype or one role that they've maybe played in their life. So that just all comes back to not only do we, right, are we oftentimes taught, put yourself last, but it can be as extreme as we should martyr or sacrifice our own desires, needs, et cetera, for everyone else. And there's very, I just think that the quality of what we can offer, the degree to what we can offer gets diminished when we do that. Yeah. What's, what's, I forget my original point because this is obviously now a better tangent, but (laughs) what, what was coming up for me too was how we just as, as a product of how we've grown up unconsciously put people into boxes. It's certainly not intentional. Right. Uh, I think that's a, a constant deprogramming that we have to be present to, you know, um, when you engage, for those who are listening, when you engage with a friend who's a new mother, are you only asking about her baby? Or are you asking, yep. how is she doing? <laughs> yep. Um, you know, if if you have an unmarried friend, are you asking about what she's doing that fuels her? Or is it just about the business, right? Like, Or I just asking very- about why she's still unmarried. Yeah, because I know I have one client that I've worked with for some time and she's in her early 40s and she has an incredible career. She has an amazing community and family. Uh, She's an incredibly well-rounded person and there is just so much stress and pressure 
that comes about her being quote, still single. And what does that mean? And what might be wrong with her and for her to have to navigate what she sees as true. And then yet all of that, that she's internalized her whole life about where she should be at this point. So that's another thing for sure. Oh, absolutely. And I, we all, I'm sure have heard the phrase, stop shooting yourself, but you also should other people unconsciously yep. as well. Yep. And it is, it is an enormous amount of energy. It's, it's necessary, at least in the beginning, and then it becomes easier, but to respond to those expectations. So speaking to Melanie's like the unmarried person or the childless person. I know some wonderful women who just do not want to have children. The amount of energy that it has taken in the past for them to defend a decision that they they've yeah. made internally. And sometimes it takes a lot if we have, you know, uh, if we have little cracks or fissures, right, in our strength or our confidence or our groundedness, all that that conscious decision may very well crack and people end up doing yes. things that they don't really want to do, that they shouldn't do. I think about my own paternal grandmother who she was born in 1928 um, and she was married and had five children under the age of seven by the time I think she was 26. And, um, you know, she ended up being admitted to mental hospitals several times. Um, she was suicidal. Um, she had the very classical what Betty Friedan in the 1960s called the problem that has no name in her book, The Feminine Mystique, that unspoken sort of dissatisfaction that so many women had at that time a time when tranquilizer use went up 300%. Um, Doctors were, right, just literally prescribing tranquilizers to these women who felt like, is this all there is? Could there be something more, right? They did not have the ability to stick with any conscious decision because the pressure was so insurmountable and so great. I think that has changed a lot. And yet, depending on what part of the country you're in, what, again, what family, you know, are you in a rural area, urban, what is the religious affiliation, what is the level of religiosity, that pressure can get sometimes close to, you know, that historic high that we had. And, um, And I know in the case of my paternal grandmother, I will often say, you know, she was one of the most amazing women that I know. In my office, I have a framed collage of photos from the Great Peace March in 1986, where she walked from Los Angeles to Washington, D.C. over a nine-month period for nuclear disarmament, um, with along with many other people. And, you know, she did things like that and traveled extensively and was very well-read. But, <laughs> excuse me, in terms of being a mother and a grandmother, you know, I think there, <laughs> there was room for improvement. And the truth is she didn't want to become a mother or a grandmother. She wasn't really able to stick with what she consciously knew was her path. And so I think that, you know, people who are a little bit fragile, that when we should all over them and we apply pressures consciously or unconsciously, people end up doing things that maybe that they should not, um, that they're not really cut out for. And in the same way we benefit when women are self-actualized, we are all harmed when women are cut down to size. Yes, when they are limited. Absolutely. The onus of that claiming, this is who I am right now. This is what my yep. decision or what I want is right now. Because it can always change. The onus of making that choice obviously is on the individual, but then it is shared Yes, to support and lift up and love the choice of that woman. And that that collective support is very important, readily available, but in the same way, challenging for many people to access. And what I mean by that is one of the things that I hear so often from women on their empowerment journey, I'm sitting across the screen from them as a coach. They may come, you know, to me looking to work on emotional healing or trauma processing, or where do I go next? Clarity. One thing that almost always comes up is I need more women friends. Mm -hmm. I need more connection. I need more community. Uh, I was just talking to someone literally two hours ago where the second I asked, talk to me about your friends. There was this, this, I mean, outpouring of sadness. You could feel it. And that's not uncommon. 
we have been put into literally a, a country of apartments. We live these very individualized lives. Yep. But who we are craves connection and feminine connection. So for those listening, if you're like, where are my people? They exist. I talk to all of them. Right. They all do want, I. <laughs> we all want to meet each other. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yep. And I know, Melanie, you've you've always inspired me because you've been so active in different communities. I Maybe this is a good place to start uh, winding down this conversation. Well, I have two things, if I may interject, and they, they will also lead to a wind down for sure. Um, but I want to I, I speak to what you had said in terms of community and feeling support and uplift and that these people exist. You talk to them all day. I talk to them all day. They're incredible. But I want to just make one quick distinction, right? There's something different about being in a conscious community where we gather and we talk about very specific things as opposed to I'm going to go lunch, I'm going to go shop, that there's nothing wrong with that, or I'm going to go watch Married at First Sight, which I am going to do tonight, okay? Just got to say, like, I, I do that, yet that. But that is different than gathering and speaking intentionally about these kinds of things, right? Because, yeah, there might be a lot of listeners right now going, oh, well, I have friends, but we're not no. having conversations like this, right? And so I'm glad that I hit on what where you were going to because it just feels really important because we can feel alone and unsupported even if we have, you know, a large group of friends that we see regularly. And so for me... I've had to, to be honest, even in the last couple of years, um, as I've been continuing to evolve and grow, really reassess the people who are in my life very immediately. And I have made some changes in certain friendships, um, very long-term ones where they're still there. It's not like I cut people off, yeah. but I was like, my time and energy is so, so important, so valuable. And I want to use it intentionally that I, I want to be around other people, women specifically, who are in whatever form, whatever iteration, have some aspect of, you know, a desire to grow and to evolve, um, not to be stagnant. And so, you know, I had a very kind of like, there was a very full relationship that I had for a while that I realized just that it does not feel full anymore. Like I, I can't do that. And it just, you know, and segued into new relationships, which is funny because I thought, you know, at this age, I'm like, right. yeah, you don't really make new friendships at that age. Oh my God, that's such bullshit. <laughs> right. Making new friendships with a really a whole bunch of incredible women um, that shared this so that our time is so meaningful. It's fun. It's silly. We can, we can watch the shows, we can do the funny things, but there's always this, this mm -hmm. connection and groundedness um, and centeredness to mutual evolution and uplift. It really changes the quality, the tone and the tenor of the relationship and the time. The other thing that I wanted to come back to, and then I'll, you know, however you want to segue out from here, I, you know, at the end of my talk, I, I very much speak to kind of what you and I were talking about prior to discussing female friendships and community and mutual uplift about the choices where I say, like, do you want to have children or not? Do you want to get married or not? And saying whatever it is, right? I say it in the talk. It's your choice. Just make sure the choices are conscious, they're deliberate, and they're made in a way that you consider the your impact, right? Because whether we are in the positions that you and I hold or not, we are making an impact on the world around us and the people in our life. And so that was just a very important point because I feel sometimes we can move into yeah. individualism, which I also talk about in the talk. And if I look at the quote version of feminism in the 1980s, as we came out of the women's liberation movement or what's called the second wave of feminism, there was a very individualistic notion of what um, empowerment looked like. Think of, you know, the woman in the power suit with the, you know, shoulder pads going into the corporate environment, not to say that these weren't important things, they certainly were. And yet there was sort of this notion that I'm going to take care of myself and maybe I'll mentor one other person. But that kind of collective spirit, that collaborative spirit was certainly lost um, during the mm. 1980s, right? And uh, it is, a, for me, a very crucial element, which is, as you were saying, the level of involvement I've had in various communities. For me, it's always been about who can I connect? Who can I collaborate with? How can I uplift? Like, it just makes sense. If I have access to something, I want to share it, right? And I want other people who maybe have not 
have the same kind of support or connection? Can I connect you to people? That to me has always from the get-go been just a core aspect of that kind of collective, that, sorry, that conscious empowerment, that consciousness raising was for the individual and the group, right? For the greater good, for the collective. Like for me, I just could not understand how to ever separate those, right? Yeah. I mean, what you're speaking to is the unseen or the magic that you can't quite predict when you join in community. I, I can't tell you how many times in the past five, six years where I've been in a space of momentary stuckness and my instinct is hold it in, figure it out yourself, Amanda. And it is always easier. Things always soften. Creativity comes back in. Joy connection comes back in. When I get into community, when I share with someone, when I give something as an offering for someone else, holding meditations, right? There's there's the giving and receiving of energy with other people that is so potent. And again, I know you guys get this intellectually, but if you have if you felt that like sting in your stomach when we first brought up friendship, that sting is saying it's time to embody and get into action and actually find your community, find your people, call them in. Um, and that actually was really where I wanted to end with you, Melanie, is I've I've seen you engage in and lead, right? Many different groups, ritual groups. We we ha- I remember going to a couple uh, at your apartment in Santa Monica that was beautiful, a couple of women's circles. What would you suggest for someone listening? Let's say they're in like a very rural or flyover country. Don't get mad at me for calling in flyover. I apologize in advance. You can't cancel me. Um, What would you say to someone there? How do they find community when it seems like, hint, seems like there is none where they are? Well, first of all, don't assume that there are not other people like you. The um, so many of the clients that I work with, um, you know, they come from, you know, entrepreneurial spaces, real estate spaces, corporate spaces. And I have been amazed just how I'd say 96% of them are already unicorns when I meet them. Um, I'm like, oh, I didn't expect people like you to be in places like that, that, that there are more people than we can imagine who have a certain sensibility that there is something larger and greater than ourselves who have a sense of connection, spirituality, however they envision it, and they desire more sacred community. So first of all, just don't assume, allow yourself to sort of be available to even receive those connections, to make yourself visible to those connections. And if they're not there physically, I mean, my goodness, we live in a virtual environment that actually allow yourself to you know, begin to look at where else and how else can I receive this kind of support and community. And you'd be amazed that just having those intentions, that level of receptivity really beautifully brings together, right? Uh, The individuals are meant to be together. Yeah. It's making the choice. Yeah. I'm ready. I'm open to, I want to be in and receive community. And oh my God, I'm sure you and I both have combined millions of examples of how quickly when you make that choice, things are revealed to you. There's probably someone sitting next to you that's looking for the same thing. It's the allowing of yourself to have that community that opens your eyes to the fact that it's already around you, you know? 100%. Melanie, as always, we could keep going for ever. Yes. If we wanted. (laughs) I I really, I am so grateful for where this talk wound up going because I think, you know, I wanted to be protective of the content of your talk because I really, I need people to experience it. They need to watch it on YouTube. And obviously the link will be in show notes and all of Melanie's information will be there. But I want to thank you for, as always, just really sharing so much just from a grounded heart space. Like it's just, it, I I know people listening can feel it. Um, and I just want to second what you're feeling. Melanie knows what she's talking about. You will see that when you see the presence that she holds on stage. And 
uh, it's a gift. So thank you for showing up. Thank you on behalf of our listeners as well. Any parting words? Um, you know, I just was just taking in your, your closing and just thinking about again, how wonderful it is that given our long history, that this is the first, first podcast interview I've done on the talk has been with you and how significant and wonderful it's been. So I was just really relishing and basking in that experience Mm. and the sisterhood, the solidarity, the camaraderie, uh, how it is truly the essence of my talk. And so I just want to leave it at that. I just am very grateful and thank you. And I hope that um, listeners not only hear what we've said, but can can feel the relationship that we have and the really the authenticity, the authenticity of our commitment to creating these kinds of spaces and relationships simply by hearing us and witnessing us. So thank you. Second that to infinity. So we'll leave it there, you guys. Thank you again to Melanie. Thank you guys for tuning in. Everything we've talked about, we'll link out to a couple of those books, resources, and of course, the talk in the show notes. If you have questions, suggestions, you know where to find me, shoot me an email, and we will see you on the next episode. Have a great day. Love you.